Amen. Thank you, Robbie. Thank you, Emily. It was a beautiful song. I didn't see him there, and for a moment I thought I was going to have to do special music. I was afraid. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Lord is the strength of our life. Amen. He's able to do above and beyond what we could think or ask. And we have nothing to fear as we allow him to lead. Each day he seeks to build confidence and strength in our lives through the, the challenges or obstacles we would face. When I was in the Marine Corps, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 16 years old. My parents signed a waiver, and uh, it was, I was in my senior year, and they allowed me to go to reserve meetings and get acquainted with uh, the reservists and combat engineers uh, as they would go out and do different things on the weekends once a month and a couple times a week in this, uh, a couple weeks in the summer and a couple weeks in the winter. Um, so I did that through my senior year, and uh, when I graduated, I went on to boot camp. And it was intense. And the training is set up in such a way that you have to meet different obstacles to build your strength and endurance and your mental capabilities of handling things in the battlefield and how to deal with the opposition when it came. And I remember one of the courses we had was called the Strength and Endurance Course. Now, this course was a two-and-a-half-mile course, and it was set up that first you would sprint a quarter mile, then you would do some push-ups, then you'd sprint another quarter mile, you'd do some pull-ups, you'd sprint another quarter mile, you'd do some sit-ups, you'd sprint another quarter mile, and you would do what we would call at that time bends and thrust. Today we may call that a burpee. And it was designed to really build your endurance. However, they were very wise in how they set things up in regards to your training. Because when you first got there, the, the training that you took part of for strength and endurance were small trials. You had to face small obstacles. And as you overcame them, then you moved on to something larger and more intense. And so it was designed to try to somewhat break you down, but then build you back up. And by the end, you were strengthened for whatever you may have to face in the battle. Now, we have a school similar to that. It's called the School of Christ, but it's much better. What do you say? Because in the school of Christ, he also takes you through a training course. You also have to meet obstacles and challenges in life. There's trials, there's hardships, there's opposition you have to face. But in the school of Christ, you have the precious promises. In the school of Christ, you have the captain of our salvation that has already gone before you and has faced trials greater than he would ever have us encounter. Amen? And in the school of Christ, when we encounter things that are greater than us to, to, to overcome, then he comes down and he does for us what it, is in, what it is humanly impossible for us to do for ourselves. So I invite you to bow with me as I kneel down and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us as we go into the book of Joshua and we 
draw from it some object lessons today and illustrations that we can apply to our lives to find strength and endurance to face the obstacles, opposition, and give God the opportunities to do for us what we cannot do. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you. Thank you for the school you have invited us all into. Thank you that your son Jesus has gone before us and prepared the way. Thank you, Lord, that you will place nothing before us that is greater than we can, we can overcome. As you weigh and measure every trial, every challenge we'd ever face before it comes. Bless us now, Lord, as we open your word and speak to us individually, as families, as a church body. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to Joshua chapter 1. Now the Israelites had spent the last 40 years wandering in the wilderness. They had seen God's great provision on a daily basis, providing them food and water for a great multitude of people. Now, when I think about how much water it would take to feed or to, to, to give to millions, I'm sure there was millions of Israelites by the end of the 40 years, it's an enormous amount. And the amount of food, we probably could not really calculate it on a daily basis how much food they would need. But it was a lot. But every day, they saw God make great provision. Every day, God was seeking to build their strength and confidence in Him for the greater challenges that were lying ahead as they were about to go into the promised land. Starting with verse 1 in Joshua chapter 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be, yours, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Now there's some language here that's very similar to the Great Commission. I should think about this. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He's encouraging Joshua. He says to him, go, I will give this land unto you because nobody can stand before me. No one be able to stand against you. I'm with you. And he makes the promise, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee as Christ made to his disciples. God goes on to tell Joshua here, Be strong and of good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto thy fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commandeth thee. 
Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper wheresoever thou goes. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then shall thou make thy way prosperous, and then shall thou have good success. And once again, God would encourage him. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goest. And then once again in verse 18, the people themselves would encourage Joshua and tell him, be strong and be of good courage. God did not promise them it was going to be easy, no more than he promised the disciples when he told them to go into all the nations, to baptize them, to teach them. Of course, there's going to be trials. Of course, there's going to be challenges. Of course, there's going to be situations you may find yourself in that you wish you never were in. But the Great Commission is go, just as he told the Israelites, go and possess the land. He's telling us, friends, go. It's time to go home. It's time for us to fulfill the commission that God has given to us. And yes, as they will find themselves meeting challenges, we will too. And so the first challenge and obstacle they would come to is the Jordan River. So turn with me to chapter 3. They had sent out spies already to investigate Jericho. The spies came back. They gave a report. Israel was told to prepare to cross the Jordan. Now it was going to be a wonderful thing that God was going to do for him. He was going to build their strength and confidence for this generation as he did the generation before in the crossing of the Red Sea. Joshua chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 3. And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near it, that you may know that the way, the way which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua would tell the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonderful things among you. So God is calling for his people to sanctify themselves. What does that mean? That means we're to set ourselves apart for the work that God has appointed to us. That means there's to be a clear distinction between us, nominal Christianity, and the world. That means we are to be wholly consecrated to God, willing to do his work, willing to go where he'd have us go, willing to endure whatever it will take to accomplish the mission before us. And that mission is to bring souls that are in darkness into the marvelous light. That mission is to give people that have no hope, hope. That mission is to encourage those that are discouraged and downtrodden, to lift them up and point them to a living Savior that can do abundantly above all they could ever ask or think. That's our mission, friends, to share the good news, the gospel that changes people's lives, that sets us on the path of righteousness, 
for his namesake where he then transforms our lives and restores in us his likeness and his image. We are to be distinct and separate, friends. We are to, be, we are to sanctify ourselves and be set apart for this great work that God has given to us. Yes, we will meet obstacles just as they're about to meet one here at the Jordan. He would tell them they were to wait. The priests were to go first. Now I want you to imagine yourself being one of those priests. You're bearing the ark. You're told just to go. You're not told how God's going to do it. But you're carrying the ark. And you're about 12 feet away and the rushing Jordan River is still moving rapidly. But you're not to focus on the river. You're to focus on the other side. You're not to focus on the obstacle. You're to focus on the great prize that is before us. We're not to focus on the challenges that we have to face, but we're to focus on the one that is able to conquer all those challenges as we surrender and submit to him. And so imagine you're coming up to that water you're four feet away and nothing has changed yet. How do you feel? Are you nervous? Are you beginning to doubt? Are you wondering if God's going to fulfill his word? He said the water would rise up. As the foot of the priest touched the brim of the water, you're just about to touch the water. Nothing has still happened. But just imagine the excitement and the awe and the wonder that thrilled their soul as they stepped in to the water on the edge and it immediately rose up and the rest went down and the next foot they set down was on dry ground. Can you imagine? What an awesome experience that must have been for the priests. I don't know if I'd want to be one of them or one of the Israelites in back watching them go first. But in either case, they all witnessed a mighty miracle. Why? Because they were willing to go forward in faith. They didn't have to understand exactly how it was all going to happen. Their job was to believe the Word of God and trust that He was able to do what He said He could do. Friends, I don't know what obstacles you're facing today. Maybe it's a challenge in a workplace. Maybe it's a challenge of a job loss. I was talking to somebody today and he was, uh, yesterday, and we were talking about the challenges he was facing in his employment. And I told him I, I would not tell him what he should or should not do. But I would encourage him to trust the Lord, to seek God's guidance and do what would honor God the most, whatever cost it would be to himself. And he would have peace with that decision. Because only when we do what we are convicted in our hearts to do, which is right, will we have true peace. So I don't know what your Jordan may be that God is calling you to cross. Maybe he's calling you to step out in faith and go on a mission trip. Maybe he's telling you to move to a different place. Maybe he's telling you to just go over and knock on your neighbor's door 
and share some words of encouragement with them. Maybe he's telling you to fulfill a call within the church body and come along the pastoral team and be a part of the leadership to build up this church. Maybe he's calling you to retirement and to focus on the work in the church. I was talking to a a gentleman on this uh, neighbor-to-neighbor project, and he said to me, as I see things progressing, as I see prophecy fulfilling, he said, I had to sit down and do a little reflecting. He says, as I reviewed basically my retirement fund and my portfolio, he says, you know what? I can comfortably retire now. He said, so I'm making the decision. And this is what God was speaking to him about. I'm making the decision to go ahead and retire. I'm not going to finish. I'm not going to teach another year. He says, I'm going to retire. And I'm going to get into the work of the Lord. And I'm going to work in the health ministry. I want to work furthering the message of the health message in our denomination around this community and around the world. So praise the Lord. God is speaking to him. So I don't know what obstacles you are going to face that God is calling you to encounter and overcome. But this I know, whatever trial it may be, whatever challenge, God will see us through it. I want to read something to you. Uh, it's, a, it's a verse in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. It's a beautiful promise. And the commentary that goes with it is extremely encouraging. It says this, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. There is no temptation taking you, but it is common to man. But God is faithful. God is what? God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. Now here's the commentary to that. Each one has his own battles to fight, his own Christian experience to gain, independent in some respects from any other soul. And God has lessons for each to gain for himself that no other can gain for him. Now listen very closely to these next few sentences. They are profound, they are greatly encouraging, and they give us much hope. Our Heavenly Father measures and weighs every trial before he permits it to come to the believer. Can you imagine that? Did you know before you would be tempted, before you would face any trial on any given day, God has already measured and weighed it? It goes on to say, He considers the circumstances and the strength of the one who is to stand under the proving and test of God. And he never, I'm going to say this twice, he never permits the temptations to be greater than the capacity of resistance. What an amazing God. What a loving Father. What a caring Savior. He never permits the temptation or the trial to be greater than your or my capacity to resist. It goes on to say, if the soul is overborne, the person overpowered, this can never be charged to God, but to the tempted, but the one tempted was not vigilant, 
and prayerful and did not appropriate by faith the provision God had abundantly in store for him. Christ never failed a believer in his hour of combat. The believer must claim the promises of God and meet the foe in the name of the Lord. And that comes from Our High Calling, page 323. Our High Calling, page 323. So, I don't know about you, but when I read the commentary to that Bible verse, that gave me a great deal of courage and hope and strength in what God could do for me and what God would do for me. And knowing that he is so caring that before the trial would come, he has already taken in consideration my knowledge, my past experiences, and my current situation. And he would say to the enemy, you know what? The trial can be this great, but no further. When he tested Job, he took in consideration Job's past experiences, his knowledge of the God that he served, and he would allow that trial to go no greater than Job's capacity to resist. And Job would come to the point to say, although he slay me, yet I would worship him. And so I don't know what kind of challenges you're facing today, friends, but take courage. Be of good cheer, for the Lord our God is with us. Amen? And so they would cross that Jordan. And now they would face opposition. They would come to the walls of Jericho, and God would give them again clear direction. However, this time, he didn't tell them the walls were going to come tumbling down at his voice and how he was going to accomplish it. He gave them some instruction about marching around the city. He did tell them they would shout at the end. He did tell them, yes, it would fall flat. But from all human perspective, it did not make sense. I want you to think about that. Just like when Jesus told the lepers to go and show themselves to the priests when they came to him for healing, it did not make sense. He didn't lay his hands on them to heal him. He didn't pray over them. He just said, go. And when they were obedient to the word of God, they were cleansed. And so he told them, chapter 6, go with me to chapter 6. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And you shall come past the city, all you men of war, and you shall go about the city round about the city, once, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and seven days, and the seven day ye shall come past the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, 
and the wall of the city shall fall flat down, fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straightway before him. And verse 10, And Joshua commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth, until the day I bid you shout, then shall you shout. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to put yourself in the place of one of those people in the army, maybe one of the priests blowing the trumpet. You go out. I don't know how long it took them to get around the city, but you could not say a word. You had to remain silent. And then you went back to the camp. I want you to think about the unity that was taking place as they prayed in their mind, as perhaps they were searching their heart because they wanted nothing to hinder the promise of the Lord. I want you to think about every day they went out in faith, believing at the end of the seven days, God would do what he said he would do. Could you imagine the excitement when they came back into the camp and he started talking to their families? They finally were able to say something. The anxiety, perhaps that may be building in some, but yet the anticipation in others, the excitement that was building. Day six, you still can't say nothing. And you're still perhaps wondering, how is my voice when I shout going to bring this great wall down? But I want to encourage you, friends, when God gives us a a command to do something. It's not up to us to figure out how he will accomplish it. It's up to us to go. And in the process of going, he's going to build our faith and our confidence in him. And each obstacle we encounter will give us stronger faith and confidence in him. So that when you come to a greater trial in life, you're able to meet it. Now, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I've been walking with the Lord about 20 years now since God opened my mind to his existence and started leading me on a journey with him. But I know that certain things, trials and challenges I face today, had they come to me 10 years ago, they'd have wiped me out. How about you? Can you think of some? I think about how gracious God is in building our faith and confidence in him through one trial or one challenge after another, but never too great to overcome us if we remember how he's led us in the past, if we remember the promises that he has given, if we take a hold of them and appropriate them in faith as he has commanded us to do. And so on that last day, they would blow the trumpet and the walls would come down. You see, when they went out in obedience to the word of God, they were of one mind, one accord. When the disciples were in the upper room, they were of one mind and one accord. And when they worked together in, in, in harmony, when they came together in unity and they pressed toward the goal 
and they worked towards accomplishing the mission that God had given to them, the power of God came down and did wonderful things for them. The walls fell down, and on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church. Now, I'd like to suggest to you, friends, that God wants to pour out His Spirit upon us as a church body, us as a denomination, just as He did on the day of Pentecost, just as His power came down and broke down the walls of Jericho. He wants to do great and wonderful things for His church today. Now, I was greatly encouraged when about 100 people came out for the prayer meeting. I'm greatly encouraged as I, I hear the testimony of a man that came back from the Montana trip and was convicted that he should gather some youth together and start meeting for prayer, start meeting and going out and doing some door-to-door ministry. I've been greatly encouraged as I met Mrs. Miller out in Oregon that was 103 years old, still going out and passing out the great controversy. I've been greatly encouraged as I have seen uh, in the past Lee Tripp, who's passed away now, Elder Tripp, come after having a stroke to evangelism meetings night after night, wanting to be here with the saints. I've been greatly encouraged as I've studied and baptized a young couple, and now I see them studying with three other people to bring them into the knowledge of Christ. But friends, I believe God has a greater work yet for us to do in this church body. I think God is calling us. I do believe, I don't think, I do believe wholeheartedly God is calling us to unify, to face the opposition that is coming. Jesus says, by this you will know them. You will know they're my disciples, how they love one another. He didn't say that we're going to always agree with each other, friends. But we can respectfully disagree and still treat each other with dignity, kindness, and respect. Amen? And we can still come alongside each other and pray for each other, can we not? And we can still come together and labor for the salvation of souls, can we not? Let not the enemy divide and conquer in our home, in our church, or in our denomination. Let us not be too proud to back up and be humble and come alongside somebody. Maybe we don't agree with them, but let us kneel down and pray for one another. Pray for the strength of God. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. I'm going to read something here from, this comes from Ye Shall Receive Power. The great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with His glory, will not come until we have an enlightened people that know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. When we have entire wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of His Spirit without measure. But this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not labors together with God. God cannot pour out His Spirit when selfishness and self-indulgence are so manifest. 
when a spirit prevails that, if put into words, would express that answer of Cain, am I my brother's keeper? If the truth for this time, if the signs that are thickening on every hand that testify that the end of all things is at hand are not sufficient to arouse the sleeping energy of those who profess to know the truth, then darkness proportioned to the light which has been shining will overtake these souls. There is not the semblance of an excuse for their indifference that will be that they will be able to present to God in the great day of final reckoning. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I read Matthew 24 again, I see it in greater intensity. The famine the earthquakes, the storms, the raging of the seas, the restlessness among nations, the war, the love of cold, uh, the love of many waxing cold. I see all of that intensifying in our world today. The other thing I see, and perhaps many of you have taken note of it this week, is what's happening with the papacy. Now, I don't know about you, but I see Revelation 13 rapidly being fulfilled right before our eyes today in which we live. We don't need to be afraid, but we should be greatly encouraged. It should arouse us, friends, to take a hold of this work. It should arouse us to press together in prayer meetings. It should arouse us to come together in our families. It should arouse us to come perhaps to somebody we don't quite agree with and kneel down and pray and ask God to work among his people. The enemy is gaining ground. While the church is wrestling with indifference and over things that perhaps need to be wrestled with at times and do, but yet we need to respect and treat people with dignity and kindness in the process. Now, the president of this country has spent some time over there with the Pope this week. We know over the last, I'd say over the last seven years, the majority of the mainstream Christian churches has made reconciliation with the papacy. Now, friends, God has given us a work to do. We need to have faith and confidence in Him. We need to meet the obstacles daily in His strength. We need to come together. We need to pray together. We need to labor together so that God can accomplish what He desires. And that's pouring out His Spirit upon us. He wants to drop the walls. He wants us to have victories in our life that will strengthen us for tomorrow. But we must be willing to go out and labor. Mrs. Jones was one of those ladies in a small group that would come into the federal prison that I was in and minister to me every week. <clears throat> now, she had two sons that were out in the world that were just not right in their walk with God. But yet, while she was praying for them, she was laboring for souls. 
How many of you have a family member that's not walking with God? How many of you have a, a co-worker that you're close to that's not walking with God? How many of you have a friend that you love? Maybe it's been a lifelong friend that's not walking with God. You see what Mrs. Jones was doing while she was praying for those, as I'm sure you are for your loved ones, co-workers, and friends. While she was praying for them, she was out laboring for other souls. And while she was laboring for those souls, God was answering her prayers unbeknown to her. I would get out, I would write a book, I would send it up to that church. She wanted the pastor to invite me to come up there and speak. As he was waiting to make that decision, Mrs. Jones was up front one day praying for some missionaries, and she had an aneurysm. And two days later, she died, never knowing if God ever answered her prayer. But every week she would go in faith, ministering to those that were lost, those that had no hope, those that did not know God. She would come faithfully every week. A few months later, I was invited to that church. The father had brought the other son. There were two sons. I'll, I'll back up for a minute. The day she died the police knocked on the door to let the family know, because they didn't know she had passed, let the family know that they found one of the boys dead in the cemetery. They believed it was foul play. And so here the family's grieving the loss of mom and a brother and a son. And so several months later, I would go to this church and I would share my personal experience and I would talk about how these people ministered to me and how they were linking the chain of bringing me to Christ. At the end of that meeting, I would meet the other son and the father of Mrs. Jones. And I shared a book with him. I shared a couple books with him. About a year later, I got a call from a man named Mark. I answered the phone. I said, hello. He said, this is Mark. I said, hello, Mark. How are you doing? He says, I'm Mark Jones. I said, Mark Jones. Okay, Mark, well, where have I met you? Because, you know, I've met a lot of people, and I don't always remember everybody's name and the face to that name. And he said, my mother used to come to the prison that you were in and minister to you. I said, well, praise the Lord. He said, I just want to let you know I've given my life to Christ. And I've consecrated my business to further God's cause. I'm the elder in my church, and I would like you to come and speak at my church. Friends, while you are out laboring for God's dear children, somebody, God is preparing somebody to minister to your child to your brother or sister, to your parent, to your friend, maybe to your co-worker. But he's calling us, friends, to be co-laborers together with him. The enemy is gaining ground. And we must put away 
our own prejudices and let the Spirit lead in our life. We must unify as a body and we must complete the work God has given us to do. Now, there are some things that will hinder that work, just as there was something here that hindered them from continuing the progress from victory to victory in the promised land. I'd like you to turn with me over to chapter 7. Because they were told and given explicit instruction not to take anything out of Jericho. God said it was a cursed thing. The precious metals were to go to the sanctuary. But everything else was to be consumed and destroyed. They would then, after the victory there, Joshua would muster the group together. A couple people would go and spy out Ai. They would come back and say, you know, we don't need a large army. Just send out so many. It's going to be an easy victory. Well, they went out, about 3,000. And that small company, that small town of Ai, whooped them. 36 people, 36 men died in that battle. And they went back, and Joshua would find himself on his face in verse 7. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would to God we have been content and dwelt on the other side? Now that language kind of sounds like some things that happened in the past. Joshua is dumbfounded. He's overwhelmed. He cannot believe what just happened. After crossing the Jordan, after the fall of Jericho, and now this little, this little company of people put them to rout and overcome them? Verse 8, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns their back before the enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall, and shall surround us and cut us, cut us off. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have st also stolen, and dissembled also. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed thing from among you. In verse 13, up he says, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing amiss in the midst of thee, O Israel, and thou cannot stand before thy enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now, I would strongly suggest today that perhaps there are things happening in the home. Perhaps there is an accursed thing that is causing division in the home. Perhaps there's an accursed thing in a person's individual life that they haven't given up, something they are coveting, 
a sin they cherish. And as long as it is there, friends, in your life or mine, we will not be able to stand against the enemy. The apostles, when they were in the upper room waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they weren't just sitting there thinking about what it's going to be like. They were searching their heart. They were reconciling with one another. They were putting away differences. They were not only believing in the Word of God, but they were yielding their mind, surrendering their heart, and setting their affections fully and completely upon Him. There was no accursed thing in their heart. There was no idol they were cherishing. There was no sin they were not willing to confess and give up and let go. And God was able to pour out His Spirit upon them. It says here in Patriarchs and Prophets, Achan's sin brought disaster upon the whole nation. For one man's sin, the displeasure of God will rest upon his church till the transgression is searched out and put away. The influence most to be feared by the church is not that of open opposers, infidels, and blasphemers, but of an inconsistent professor of Christ. These are the ones that keep back the blessing of God of Israel and bring weakness upon His people. When the church is in difficulty, when coldness and spiritual declension exist, given occasion for the enemies of God to triumph, then instead of folding their hands and lamenting their unhappy state, let its members inquire if there is an Achan in the camp. Now that doesn't mean we're to start looking around and wondering who is cherishing sin. We're not to sit back and start pointing our fingers and calling people out. But it goes on to say, and she makes it very clear, with humiliation and searching of heart, let each, I'll say it again, let each seek to discover the hidden sins that shut out God's presence. Friends, God wants to pour out His Spirit upon His church. Our greatest need right now, today, not tomorrow, but today, is the outpouring of His Spirit. It was when they came into unity and obedience to the Word of God and marched around Jericho and followed the command explicitly that he was able to bring down the walls and show himself strong in their behalf. It was when the disciples met in that upper room and they spent those 10 days searching their heart, reconciling with one another, surrendering themselves fully to the work of God that he was able to pour out his Spirit upon them. I want to encourage you, friends, if you don't have a daily devotional life, you're not going to be able to withstand the obstacles that you face daily. If you don't have a daily devotional life and a family worship time where you're gathering your family together and you're teaching your children to trust the Lord and to know God, what hope do they have? 
if today the government was to come and knock on your door and take your children from you, just like the Assyrians did when they overcame Israel, they took some of their children and the little maid would find herself in a home all alone with no father, no mother, would your children know enough about God they would not compromise on their faith? Would they? Where are our priorities in life? Are they in the right place, friends? When Israel was told, when God told Joshua in Israel, he said, you know what? The book of the law is not to part out of your mouth. They were to study the word of God daily. They were to educate their children in the things of the Lord. When they went off to education, as our youth do today, that is only a means to the end. Our young people, whatever you're studying in the universities, that's only a, a, an opportunity for you to segue into somebody's life and bring the good news of the gospel to them. If you're studying and your sole purpose is how much money you can make, you're missing the mark. You're missing the purpose of Christian education. And I want to encourage everyone. I know our lives can be extremely busy. But we must, I'll say it again, we must set time aside for personal devotion family worship, corporate assembly. When Wednesday night comes, I'm calling this church, those watching online, meet us. Let us gather together. Let us pray together. Let us gather strength. There's so many people that need to hear the words of Christ. There's so many people that are suffering in our world today. And if we gather in our little groups and we pray for our neighbors, and we pray for our co-workers, and we pray for our family. And we go and we labor as Mrs. Jones went and did. We will find God working mightily in our behalf to accomplish for us what we cannot do. And He will save our family. He will save our co-workers. He will save our friends. But there's a work that he will not do, and that's what he's called us to do. He's willing to search our heart if we're willing to ask him. And he's more than willing to give the Holy Spirit to them and ask, seek, and knock. And he said, we will find. But are we willing to take the time to do it? I'm calling on our church body to think about how much time they can dedicate in serving this church during the week. And that may be in giving a Bible study. That may be giving a visitation. That may be just working in our community service over at Neighbor to Neighbor for an hour. But how many of us, outside of just coming to church on Sabbath or coming to prayer meeting, are involved in anything else other than that? in the church. It's time, friends,
for us to press together and labor together for this great cause. There is no other denomination on the face of the planet that has been given the light and given the message that we have been given to take to a dying world. And we will be found without excuse if we don't heed the call. On the back of the bulletin here, in the closing comments, God will do great things for those who trust in him. The reason why his professed people have no greater strength is that they trust so much in their own wisdom and do not give the Lord an opportunity to reveal his power in their behalf. He will help his believing children in every emergency if they will place their entire confidence in him and faithfully obey him. So as it says, trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him in all thy ways and he shall direct your path. Fret not thyself because of the evildoer, but fear the Lord and depart from evil. Friends, it's time. Let us rise up. The Bible has said, Arise and shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee, and the light has come. How many are willing to let God use you on a weekly basis? outside of Sabbath keeping and outside of prayer meeting? How many are you willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing to allow you to guide my life and show me what you'd have me do? Are you willing to do that, friends? I mean, just think about it. If we all came together and we gave one hour of service outside of prayer meeting and Sabbath keeping to God, hundreds of hours of laboring for souls would be accomplished and many would be brought to the light and the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you so much. I thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for this congregation. We have, Lord, been led. Much has been accomplished, but there is much more to do, Father. As we see the opposition gathering strength, as we see the noose tightening, in the world of opportunities that can be given, we know that, Lord, it is now time for us to rise up, to come together in unity, to love one another, to treat each other with dignity and kindness, and to seek your face, Lord, and allow you to, to cleanse us of our sins and to use us to bring the good news to our family, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our community, to this world. Bless us now, Lord. Bless those that said, yes, I am willing to let you lead to consecrate an hour a week outside of Sabbath keeping and prayer meeting to labor for the cause and to increase the kingdom. Bless us now, Father, as we continue throughout this Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen.